In a world of downloadable streaming singles, our hope with this podcast is to look a little deeper at what influences musicians and see the impact an album, as opposed to a single, can have on an artist's work. Welcome to The Sound Effect. The Sound Effect is a podcast where we look at an overlooked or obscure album that had an effect on a band or a musician. Sometimes that effect is obvious, but more often than not, you will be as surprised as us. We are your hosts, Dave Meehan. And I'm Tom O'Connor. On this week's episode, we're going to discuss the 1985 album Rain Dogs by the legendary Tom Waits. So, uh, Tom Allen Waits, born December 7th, 1949, Pomona, California. And um, I think there's it's sort of safe to say from what I know about Tom Waits and have read, there's sort of like three eras. Uh, that, that sort of L.A. singer, songwriter kind of playing in and kind of CD clubs in LA, uh, making a name for himself uh, with those early records. Then there's the New York City uh, era Tom Waits, which is the one I think we're going to talk a little bit more about today. And then there's that alternative Tom Waits from the 1990s uh, that I think probably for you and I being of a similar age, probably is how we were introduced to Tom Waits. Is, is well, that sort of safe to say? Uh, I was going to, talk about that because my one thing about Tom Waits I just I can't remember a time where I didn't know who Tom Waits was and I was trying to think well when was my first introduction I can vaguely remember just channel surfing one night and a big time documentary was on probably much music and if you don't know that's a just a it's basically a concert video but he he shot it like a concert but then he would he went in and added extra stuff with him as this behind the scenes character check it out it's it's pretty cool and it's super weird and that's exactly where uh i got the idea that oh he's very experimental and you hear a lot of that plinky plinky plink plink in the background that's his percussion right so that was probably mine so that i i went online and checked and that that documentary came out in 1988 so i'd say i was probably a couple years later before i saw that so to me tom waits was always just there and then the next big intro to me or or at least oh yeah that's tom waits was uh primus had him guest on their song tommy the cat on the mm-hmm. sailing, sailing the seas of cheese album So for me, uh, I knew Tom Waits was a singer-songwriter, and and like you, I I don't know how I knew that. Um, and 
You know, I, I like to think I learned a lot of pop culture from the Muppet Show, but I don't remember him being on the Muppet Show. But I'm not sure how. But I, I knew him. I knew of him. Uh, I do know at one point I mixed him and John Waits up, and I really thought the Missing You was by Tom Waits when I was when I was a uh, like a 12 year old kid. Yeah, completely different, right? And then um, I did know Rod Stewart, and when Downtown Train had come out and, and made it into the top ten, I was like, oh, okay, I know he doesn't write his own songs, and I knew enough to go, oh, okay, that's Tom Waits. He's like this big singer-songwriter. But again, like you, he was always there, yeah. but I didn't really know. What I do know is I still have in my CD collection Closing Time, his first album, which I bought at like an HMV and you'll like this. I think I bought it the same day as I bought moving pictures. Uh, and I bought them both for like seven 99 on CD. And the only reason I bought it was because I absolutely adored the song. I, I hope that I don't fall in love with you, which I still think to this day is one of the great, great love songs. And I bought it and I, I liked the record, but I loved that song. And I think I might've bought that in, I might've been like 18 19 and I never really kind of took to the rest of the record. I still love that song to this day, but Tom Waits has been one of those guys who I respect and I understand why he's good, but he was just never my cup of tea. Uh, how I, I refer to him as Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. I don't know if you know the, if you remember the movie, Dave, but yeah. it was one of those movies that when I first saw it, all the critics were freaking out about it and I saw it and I was like, ah, okay. Um, that scene's really good, and like I get that it's well written and it's well directed, and the acting's spectacular. But eh. and I just it just didn't float my boat, and I think that's kind of where I was for a long time with Tom Waits, uh, with a lot of his music, which is why I was so excited that our guest this week picked that record as something we want to look at. I'm sorry, I'm still reeling that you bought a copy of Moving Pictures. So. <laughs> Yep, same day. Uh, okay. <laughs> so, but, uh, yeah, good for you. The album we're looking at uh, this week is Rain Dogs. That's right, so. Rain Dogs. Came out in 1985, his eighth studio album. Um, his second for Island. Island is such a really interesting record label, right? Started by uh, Chris Blackwell, who was like this English, rather rich English guy who's like, um, I knew this from another podcast I listened to, that he... His mom like had an affair with like Ian Fleming and like there's a really kind of weird story with him and his mom, but she helped him get Island records off the ground. And it was, it was originally put out to re release reggae records, reggae records. which is, and yeah. who, was, who was their first big non reggae reggae signing? Um, I want to say the police, but is it you too? You're, no, you're right. The police. It was the police. Okay. Okay. I was going to try to stump thought. you there, but that didn't work. So. <laughs> That bit fell flat. Uh, but, uh, I was just going to say, it, it's interesting here that I talked about those three different eras of Tom Waits. And I think on this, like when you're listening to Rain Dogs, all that like kind of considering I, I've heard it called a real New York City album. It's funny how at times it almost sounds like something you would hear in like a, a, a dirty sludgy part of like new Orleans. Like there's this like, especially in a song like tangle till they're sore. There's this like jazzy bluesy kind of Dr. John 
yeah, um, you know, overdosing uh, thing kind of going on uh, throughout the album. And then you counter that to the only album I had by him, which was Closing Time. And it's it's so different. The style's there. What's your folk early on? Yeah, he's following the Dylan-esque style of folk music, right? But still a unique sound in his voice, which I read he, he modeled after, I believe, his grandfather spoke oh, in, that, okay. in that gravelly kind of voice, which... You hear him talk, you hear him sing, and that you, you cannot mistake him. And it's funny, oh, gosh, you, no. you mentioned Dr. John. That's immediately who I think of when I hear, of Tom, when I hear Tom Waits. It's, they're in that same vein, just slightly off center, and, but mm-hmm. enough respect and, and enough uh, writing skill that people gravitate towards them. Well, in planning for this, I read a couple of chunks from Patrick uh, Humphrey's book, The Many Lives of Tom Waits. And one of the lines that he he says in that is he has a voice that sounds like it was hauled through Hades in a dredger. Uh, And then I guess one of his favorite comparisons with someone said um, his vocal style is like Louis Armstrong and Ethel Merman meeting in hell, (laughs) which I thought. That's awesome. <laughs> that sounds like something we'd say. You know, it uh, is. this would be like if, uh, if <laughs> Keddy Lee and uh, Kate Bush had a child. <laughs> I love that, though. Like that, that, to me, is a great comparison, right? And, and I am going to talk a lot about voice this week, and that's certainly what I'm going to be writing about on the blog this week, is that idea of the originality of his voice and, and what that – I mean, it really is strange now. Like, I think of someone like Ben Kaplan, the Canadian singer, who has that Tom Waits-style voice. Uh, but other than that, I mean, it really is a, is a quite an original voice. Like you said, there's a little bit of it in Dr. John, um, Louis Armstrong, those type of things. But it really is oh, – yeah, his, his voice is is I, – I hate seeing this word overused, but it is iconic in this case, right? Yeah. Let's check out one of the songs right now. I'm going to say let's let's play Clap Hands. It's one of the it's got the voice you're talking about, but it's also got that weird ex, I'm going to use the term experimental again, percussion in the background mm-hmm. and to me that's that's what I gravitate towards. That's what I think of when I think of Tom Waits. Well, and can I just add uh, to that? Because we're listening to Clap Hands. Um, I'm a big soul, 60s soul guy. And I thought when I first heard it, I was like, this is weird. This sounds like the clapping song by Shirley Ellis. And uh, yeah, I don't know if you remember. It goes like 369, the goose drank wine, the monkey chewed tobacco on the streetcar line. Um, people used to use it to skip. Like kids used to use it in, in America to skip and stuff like that. Um but that, I guess, is what he based the song off of. And if you listen to the rhythm of the lyrics in it, it's trying to copy that, which I thought was pretty cool, too. Yeah, and this was also a single on the album, too. So there is a video, which uh, amazing. Oh, like, wow. Seeing it's from the 80s looks pretty good. That like It looks like it could have been made today. So kudos wow. to the production on that. So, yeah, here we go. Clap hands. Say, say, the old insane. 
It's interesting looking back at some of the reviews of this time, what people said and, and how they reacted to it. And I just love, I feel that Tom Waits from what I've read of the reviews forces, by the way, you want to see a, a pile of amazing reviews for this album. They're all like five star when you go and look at all the reviews from the back in the day. Um, but it's, it almost allows the writers to have fun. So they like the Rolling Stone review of uh, Rain Dog said he romanticizes the abyss and its dramatic bohemian rhapsodies on insanity, which I just thought, wow, that is so, so cool a way to think about it. And I, I'm going to say only a rock writer would say that. Oh, for sure. hundred <laughs> percent. But I, lo- I just love the whole. I mean, he really does get to the margins of society on this record. Right. I mean, and I think the production kind of mirrors that like you said it's it's weird and it's strange but i think it's steve hodges the drummer said in a in an interview with the australian broadcasting corporation it's sweet enough that it didn't turn anyone off but he kept it dissonant enough that it was really interesting 
And it's it kind of like made me think of the characters he's writing about are kind of like this, like they're they're quirky and they're awkward and they're uncomfortable. And I don't know if I'd want to spend a lot of time with these people. But man, they're really interesting, <laughs> you know, and I think that maybe the production mirrors that a little bit. Yeah. And, I'm, you know, I, I'm reading the comment you had here uh, again from Steve Hodges. I can count on one hand and have a couple of fingers left over the number of single notes like ding, ding, ding. I played on a cymbal with Tom Waits. It just, yeah. again, speaking from a drummer's point of view, you 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 better still know what you're doing when you go into a Tom Waits session as a drummer. Just be ready for anything, and do yeah, it, and do it right, please. You know, and, and that you know, from what I've uh, you know grown up with over the years, that to me reminds me of Robert Fripp from King Crimson, who was just he would get these band members together and he dictated what you did, and it was just like, no, I don't want to hear any hi hat this album. Like, why do you yeah. play hi-hat? And Bruford would have to, like, figure something else out just to right. make it work, right? I think when you have a musician like a Fripp, like a Tom Waits, like a Van Morrison, who yeah. who know in their head what they want, and they have that personality that can push that upon the musicians, that it's going to start some conflict, but at the same time, they're going to get the sound that they want on that record, right? Yeah, and by then, you know, even mid-'80s or, or whatever... Tom Waits has proven himself. It's it's mm-hmm. like, you know if you're a, if you're a studio musician going in, you're like yeah I'm I don't know what I'm doing today, but I will do it. I'm being told what to do, and that's yeah because it's in the sounds are in his head. Uh, you park your own ego at the door, right? That's right. Well, and I think like you're saying, like I mean, this is a guy who his his album before this, Swordfish Trombones, was like Enemy's album of the year, critically acclaimed. And uh, and a lot of the musicians who were on that record are on this one, right? So he really kind of, I think by this point, like you said, he was respected enough with his vision that people were willing to just go, "Hey, you you do you, Tom, and, and we're here to we're here to follow instructions." <laughs> That's it. Yeah. And, and can we talk a little? Sorry, sorry go, go ahead. ahead. You go ahead. I was going to say, can we talk a little bit just briefly about the album cover? Uh, Absolutely. I just, I, I've, it's always been like this shot to me that I've always liked. And, you know, again, you would think it would make me go, oh, hey, I'm going to pick up that album some more and give it a listen. But um, I just read a little bit about the photographer, Anders Peterson, who did that cover. And rain, it came from a collection of for... it came from a collection of photos at the Cafe Limits in Hamburg, which was like this gathering place for just the most marginalized people in Hamburg, uh, prostitutes, etc. And you can actually find a lot of the photos that, uh, that Anders Peterson took at that location online. And they are, again, it's one of those places you think, yeah, I'd like to visit there, but only for a short period of time, because I feel I would be, you know, it would just be awkward and uncomfortable and, and a strange place. Uh, and I just think the cover Oh, it, it's such a strange cover. It just fascinates me every time I look at it. Well, it's funny you say that too. It's, you know, uh, mentioning that place. One of the quotes I saw, his lyrics often focus on the underbelly of society and are delivered in his trademark deep gravelly voice. So it's almost like he romanticizes. Uh, oh yeah, for you know, sure the the cd bar like when you hear him sing you're like this guy's sitting 
in a dirty booth in the the darkest part of the ugliest pub downtown wherever you know and and that's where that's where his mind is at and that's where this music is coming from yeah well let's let's take another look here let's take a look at uh the the lead-off single or the lead-off song on the album um yeah let's take a look at the lead-off song on the album uh singapore uh from uh, 1985's uh, rain dogs Danny Michelle began playing music in Kitchener Waterloo as part of the Rhinos in the very late 80s. Uh, in 1985, he broke out on a solo career and has gathered a huge and loyal fan base here in Canada and around the world. Um, the late 90s and the first decade of the millennium saw a series of great solo records that gave voice to a myriad of different characters. In 2011, Danny took some time and traveled to Belize, where he recorded with Belize's The Garifuna Collective. Uh, while there, he created the Danny Michelle Ocean Academy Fund to support nonprofit school there. In 2017, he was part of the Arctic Kalebnikov Project, in which he wrote music while on an 18-day Arctic expedition aboard a Russian icebreaker. 
Um, yeah, and they say that music won't get you anywhere. Uh, Danny's completely shown that not to be true. Um, he is also the host of Danny's Space Van, where he interviews a gaggle of great guests from inside his 1978 GC, uh, uh, GMC Star Trek painted Vanjura van. Uh, over the past year, Danny has been building a little utopia in rural Ontario, sharing some great music and cooking tips with fans, and uh, also putting together this weird little one-man band that he's put together um, in which he, he does these great covers and uploads them every month. So make sure you check that out on his website. Uh, Danny, welcome to The Sound Effect. Thanks for having me. Uh, we, uh, yeah, so we're, we're here to talk about a specific album, but... When we first reached out to you, uh, you actually mentioned a slew of albums, which completely makes sense because you're a guy who's been making music for for a long time and influenced by a lot of different musicians. So in your list, I mean, you had the Real Statics, Frank Black, Daniel Lemois, uh, David Bowie. And of course, that one's pretty obvious because you did have a David Bowie tribute record. <laughs> so um, you've had a long, extensive career. Have those influences always sort of remained constant throughout this throughout the various periods of your career or do you suddenly find at different points you're kind of influenced by someone else for a period of time and and they kind of ebb and flow i would say they come and go i mean i would say i mean first of all it was like the hardest decision this is mean man uh, <laughs> like I took one record and i thought oh i had it and then i switched and i switched and i switched i would like i could pick five and say those are the five that that, that influenced my life kind of musically um um but I do find they come and go, you know, where I'll be really into a record for a while. And then I'll be like, oh, I mean, you know, it, it can fade. And right now I'm in like a massive Bob Dylan phase right now. Um, uh, yeah, I think it, it can change. But I mean, there, there's those five that stand, stand strong my whole life for sure. And, and Rain Dogs is, Tom White's Rain Dogs is definitely when I thought about it. And I listened to it again this morning. And uh yeah, it's it blew me away again this morning. You know, well, it's it's interesting as someone who's listened to you uh, as a sort of fellow KW guy has listened to you for years. Um, the there were certainly points where I've heard, you know, old oh, man, there's a lot of there's some Martin Tielli in that guitar noodling that you're doing, or there's certainly you can hear hints of Bowie in here. One of the interesting things to note is that. There's no Tom Waits. Uh, well, <laughs> it's weird, right? Like we're so inundated by Tom Waits' voice, right? And right. you're, and you know, you're not Ben Kaplan, Danny. Like you, like when we hear your voice, it doesn't have that that husky Tom Waits. I've been drinking whiskey all night. Quality, which isn't, which is great. It would be really weird if you did do that voice all the time, <laughs> right? But and also, I think your music kind of doesn't always have that sort of jazzy bluesy thing that he has going the sort of feelings of new Orleans, if you will. So where is that influence? And I certainly started to hear it when I was listening to rain dogs, but where do you see that, that, that connection to that album and your music? To me, it is not about his voice at all. It's about his, his choice of, it's about the recording almost. It's about the choice of instruments and the style of recording and and the adventurous spirit he has and how it's just so like raw and weird and different like it's just different um and when i think about it like i filled my life with like and you go in my studio i have like old pump organs and marimbas and strange 
like that's my favorite thing in the world. If I find at a garage sale, some dude selling a marimba or something, and it's like, I'm not interested in uh, maybe, you know, all the traditional uh, things that are supposed to be in my studio. I have like, that's what I loved about working in Belize too, you know, with those type of instruments. You know, I learned that a donkey jawbone is the greatest kabasa like in the world. And so, um, and I bet Tom would agree with that. Um, <laughs> but, you know, and, you know, the way Tom was like singing through, through, you know, I've seen him live too. And he's like singing through megaphones and like that type of thing. Right. So it's the idea of taking something, approaching the, the recording in a really artistic way. And, and that album also, I listened to it this morning and, and I guess now that I'm a little older, it's like, first of all, there's 19 songs on it, which is insane. Um, but there's, there's such a variety on there. The first few songs are like, kind of like, like, kind of sea shanty nightmares. And then there's some beautiful songs uh, that I realized there's a song on there called Blind Love that I, I think I heard it for the first time today. It was one that I kind of always used to maybe skip because it almost sounds like if, if anything, if you ever had a hit, that could be it. It was like, just like it's just like a country song. It's a beautiful, like I picture Dolly Parton doing it. Like it's a gorgeous mm. song. And it's just, a, it's not weird and wacky like his other stuff. It's just a straight up, well-written, beautiful song. I whisper your name The only way to find you Is if I close my eyes Find you with my blind love The only kind of love is stone blind love The only kind of love is stone blind The only kind of And, but I'm listening to him going, this is a country tune. And then there's like full on blues songs on there. And then there's just like, uh, like poems, right? There's yeah. a, the song Ninth and Hennepin, which is just a poem with sound effects. So for me, to, you know, that was like, wow, you can do that. That's, that's pretty cool. You know? Well, and it's listening to that for the first time. And, you know, to be honest, uh, we, we, Tom and I had talked earlier how Tom Waits was always just there to me. And I knew one or two songs and I'd seen some, uh, you know, one of my first introductions was the big time documentary, which was just the live show, which to me is still crazy. Like I, I pulled it up on YouTube and was watching it. And I'm like, yeah, that's it. And just seeing the guy strut around stage and then hitting like tin and stuff like that. But I was at that. No way. That's awesome. I, have, I, I in, in a frame in the hallway. I was at Massey Hall. I was 17. Me and my buddy, Dan Nalen, we slept outside at Sam the Record Man in Kitchener. Got front row center. I have row A, seat 26 or whatever, and I was sat right in front of him. And I saw him in Austin, Texas, too. Nice. Um, in a tiny theater. It was during South by South when Mule Variations came out. Um, and we met him in the, in the elevator. But, <laughs> but he... Uh, but that show in Toronto, I think, that, you know, it's all linked together with that record and stuff for me. That just it blew my mind. Yeah. You know, but I like getting back to the music that you were saying, you know, that's country. 
you're, I'm sitting there listening to it the first time. And I'm like, oh, this sounds like something like New Orleans style. I'm like, oh, well, no, that's a country song. Oh, now it's a pirate shanty? What's going on here? Yeah, yeah. So yeah. it's, uh, it, is, it's song, it is it is all like, over the place. Yeah, and then it's all of a sudden you're, it's, a, it's a song that is sung in, in coal mining caves or something. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> And it all makes sense, though. Like you, any you know, Radiohead or someone does that, and you think, "Well, that's kind of all over the place." But like with Tom Waits, you're almost expecting it. And you know what ties it together for me is that background percussion, which is barely percussion. It's just it's like hammers on metal and little marimbas here and there, and and stuff like that. That just it it makes it cohesive, but hits his vocal style. It's the style of the song that just changes things up throughout and makes it a very interesting package. Yeah. I mean, the guitar, the bass, every single thing that's happening is so interesting. It's like very well, very, very well crafted. And it's, they're not just jamming. I think I, I believe that they're every note is, you know, worked on and, and planned. And it's the, the yeah. it's like, it's a little machine, right? It's like, it's so cool. Yeah. And is that, uh, you know, speaking on production, you're saying you, you pull maybe pull more from the songwriting and the production style. You know, do you feel there's like a little authenticity there with that? And it's you know, you like that analog sound. It's a, it's a little more uh, live. Yeah, I also guess I think you know I've always had a soft spot for guys like Dylan and Tom Waits. Their voices, you know, the people go, "Ooh, I can't take." I mean, I, I'm not a, technically a great singer, so um, you know. Yeah, they always were like a, the guy, the hope that oh, you can you can do this, even if you have as long as you're you're unique and interesting, right? So, I mean, that's my whole theory of recording. And if you can't make it sound really, really slick and really great, then you got to do one thing, and you got to make it cool, right? So it's like, well, and cool, I, you know, that trumps everything, you know. Yeah, when I'm in the studio, you know, doing things on my on my own. Um, you, I believe I can get more creative because I can take my time and there's not a clock running and I'm not like paying people and people, people aren't sitting. And I don't mean I have no problem paying people, but you're not paying someone and going, okay, I don't really know what I want yet. (laughs) Right. Right. Like if you get somebody in there, you want to be organized and, and you don't want people sitting around while you're like experimenting with marimbas and jawbones and stuff. You're not guns and roses just paying for a <laughs> studio and never showing up. Right? That's right. So, so I do think that, yeah. Um, being on your own and just doing stuff can, you, you can just explore more and take the time. Well, how do you get to be someone like a Tom Waite? Yeah. I, I don't think anyone tells that guy what to do artistically. I no. think, um, I mean, he has, a, he's an incredibly successful career. I mean, yeah. you know, he can, you know, I saw him at the Hummingbird Center, which is, you know, 3,000 seats or whatever, and he can fill those in every country in the world, you know, whenever he wants to. And, um, and, and uh, yeah, I mean, at the beginning of his career, it was like kind of started out folksy and then bluesy, jazzy, and I feel like he was kind of, but then all of a sudden the first record was before Rain, uh, Rain Dogs was Swordfish Trombones, and that was when everything just took like a hard turn, and it was like all of a sudden the blues and saxophone and piano were gone and it was like chainsaws and metal banging and stuff. And I remember hearing that record going like, that's even a neater record in, 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 in a way, but I think rain dogs has more beautiful songs on it. But 
when I heard that record, I was just like, what am I listening to? Like I, there was a music I had never heard at the time. Right. Yeah. It was just like, what is happening? And um, yeah, I mean, and uh, coincidentally, that's when he married his wife, Kathleen Brennan, I believe her name is. And I know she co-writes everything with him, right? Like if you look on the back of the records, it says music and lyrics by Kathleen Brennan and Tom Waits. Yeah. She had a big influence in that changeover. Like he yeah. changed manager, kind of changed labels and just went into this very artistic period. Like his, his, I'm, I'm, I'm just guessing that I have no proof of that. I mean, yeah. his life is pretty secretive, but um, yeah. I, I, I'm pretty sure, you know, when, when, when they met up and became a, they became a, a team, you know, yeah. and it's, it was a good thing. Yeah. From what I saw, like just doing a little research on, on the internet, take it or leave it. It just seemed that she had that kind of impact on her. Maybe not like from a muse standpoint, but just from a sounding board co-writer and, yeah. uh, you know, and magic can happen. I mean, it's pretty amazing to think that, you know, she wrote some of those songs, yeah. you know, like it just says by the two of them. So it's like, you know, did she write blind love? You know, it's amazing. Yeah. She did so cool. And she just tells him, okay, now you go out and sing it, yeah. you know, I'm going to say, I, I had no idea he wrote uh, Downtown Train. Yeah. Like Rod Stewart doing it, you know, whatever. I, it was what it was back in when he recorded it. But uh, hearing it on the album, I had, is he covering it? Did someone else write this? Oh, okay. So, yeah. and, and it's funny, Rod kind of does it pretty faithfully too, other than a little more big band production. But uh, yeah. the vocal cadence and things like that are, are pretty spot on other than it's Rod's voice. I mean, well, I, go ahead. I was going to say, I know, I know Rod is a, a big fan. Yeah. So, and that's the thing too. I think he, because he wears his own uh, sort of, again, I think we throw this word around so often, but authenticity as an artist on his sleeve, a lot of other artists like, like the likes of Rod Stewart go, wow, I really like this guy or, or getting, being able to just grab Keith Richards for this record because no. Keith Richards said, Hey, wow, you're Tom Waits. Of course I'm going to go on a record with you. Right. Just, and essentially from what I heard, he just asked him, like, it was nothing. It wasn't like they had a great friendship or anything like that. Right. So I think, I think other artists are able to see that authenticity in a songwriter. Right. Yeah. I mean, he's the kind of guy that you kind of, it's so unique that even if you don't like it, you have to just go, wow. Wow. That's so cool. Like the videos he was making back in those days too. And they're just so strange and so weird. And so just like art, it was, it's art. So it's like, it's, I think guys like, Keith Richards probably are just go oh that guy that guy's wild yeah that guy's cool you know and that's why it's just real it's legit you know I was reading uh, Patrick Humphrey's uh, a couple of segments from his book on weights and he says that he's one of the two depictors of American isolation uh, and the sort of loose narrative in Rain Dogs about kind of living in the streets and the people on those margins right and when I was reading of that and thinking about interviewing you, the one that popped right into my head was uh, a fan favorite. Uh, and certainly one of my favorites to hear at a show is, uh, is your song whale of a tale, which, which in many ways I thought that's, that's exactly what you were doing in that song where you're, you're kind of tapping into those marginalized figures in our, in our society. And, and I'm, I'm sure it wasn't a conscious decision on your part to say, I'm going to, you know, write a song here. That's, that's doing that. But I, I kind of started to think about your other songs and think, yeah, you, you kind of do that as well with you, where you bring in these 
kind of eclectic characters, um, you know, in a song like Tennessee Tobacco, where, where you're bringing these sort of eclectic characters who have stories to tell. So is that a conscious decision on your part? What I, it's funny when you say that, when I think back to my first record, Fibsville, like if I ever wrote a song that was kind of Tom Waitsy, for sure, Whale of a Tale is it, and, and Hartley and Smell of Gas, those songs were totally like that. And when I think about it too, what I like about Rain Dogs is I would say what I learned from Rain Dogs and what, what, and how, what I put into my career and my art is that... Um, is to never like kind of take yourself too seriously. You know, he's good. Like Tom Waits is kind of like, there's always a little hint of funny too. Like, like in ninth and Hennepin where he says, you know, all, all the, all the prostitutes have names that sound like donuts. It's like, I mean, like that's, you can't kind of snicker. That's a funny line. That's a like, he wasn't trying to pull at your heart there. He was trying to pull at your heart here and then make you laugh. And then, and that's what he did is what he's great at is he can like rip your heart out. And then kind of make you, you know, kind of giggle about, you know, he's singing about the one-armed dwarf who's, who's dancing at the wharf. And it's just like, it's just like, what? And it's just like, and you're at the circus, you know, you're the circus sideshow, you know, 100 years ago. I don't mind if I do. And 
think that's a, a a knack an artist like him and dylan they have of you know creating these characters or bringing them to life you can see them in your head you know oh, other, yeah. other artists don't don't they can talk about someone this this woman or whatever uh but you can when t- someone like tom waits or bob dylan or or whoever s- talks about this you can see these people in your head and you're like yeah my god you know but i i know i've never met anyone like that it's uh, yeah so so is that is that like I mean, kind of what you go for too yeah i mean that's what i love that roller coaster of emotions like the idea that the song like singapore or whatever is on rain dogs and on the same record is the song time it's just like <laughs> they should not be allowed in the same room like or you know maybe someone could argue but it's like that the fact that they have been pushed in the same room is beautiful you know and um so that that type of story and that's storytelling, you know, that's such a beautiful thing to me too. It's like, it's so poetic. The lyrics are so beautiful and the imagery is so vivid and yeah. Well, it's funny you said that because every time I hear whale of a tail, I am always the same way because I know the Walper. It's like, okay, I can see the bar. I can see where this happened. I can see the conversation. I know what Danny looks like. And I've always had this image of the same guy whenever you've sung that song in my head. I don't know if he looks like him or not, but that's always the image I've had in my head. And like you said, everyone spends that song laughing at the the you know hyperbole of this guy. But that final line, when you deliver it, is heartbreaking, right? So it really is that that similar quality that you're talking about there of that heartbreak and being able to laugh at the same time, right? What's your favorite song on the record? I think it's the song "Time." Yeah. I well today it was blind love because I thought I like I seriously just heard that for the first time. I heard it, but I never I I listened to it but I never heard it. Um uh time. Time is the most beautiful, beautiful lyric and the melody and the just the the like the 
the vibe, the calmness of it, it's like a perfect song to me. The smart money's on Harlem, and the moon is in the street, and the shadow boys are breaking all the laws. And you're east of East St. Louis, and the wind is making speeches, and the rain sounds like a round of applause. Napoleon is weeping in the carnival soil. His invisible fiancé's in the mirror. And the band is going home. It's raining hammers, it's raining nails. It's true there's nothing left for him down here. And it's time, time, time. And it's time, time. Time. And it's time, time, time that you love And it's time, time, time And they all pretend they're orphans And the memory's like a train You can see it getting smaller as it pulls away And the things you can't remember Tell the things you can't forget Said she'd stick around until the bandages came off. But these mama's boys just don't know when to quit. And Matilda asked the sailors, all those dreams or all those prayers. So close your eyes, son, and this won't hurt a bit. Oh, it's time, time, time. It's Has your love of Tom Waits still stayed? Like, are you still liking? He hasn't recorded an album in a while, but he has had albums in the two thousands. Like, 
is that still there? Are you still seeing like on the last album? Yeah, that's just as good as Rain Dogs. Yeah, uh, I'm. Uh, I admit the last few he he put out, I heard, but I didn't really dive as deep into uh, Mule Variations. Was incredible. That that record, um, which is old now, I guess. That's that was an incredible album. Um, but yeah, the answer is yeah. I'm 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 eager to hear anything he's doing lately. He's kind of been quiet for a while. Is there anybody else that you see that you're like, oh, that could that's a Tom Waits vibe right there? Could be a, a known artist or an unknown artist. Not like Tom. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I, I mean, a lot of people try to copy Tom. A lot of people try to do what Tom does, and no one does it like Tom. Like Tom. And, but uh, I yeah, I haven't seen anyone like him in a long time. Yeah. Well, thanks a lot, Danny. I mean, that's. Uh... Uh, that was fun. That was fun. It was it was actually a really great experience. One of the reasons that Dave and I wanted to do this podcast is we were talking about how many great records are out there that we kind of you get bombarded by music and you kind of forget or you, you know, you were at a certain point in your life where it didn't mean something. So for when you brought up Brain Dogs, it was like we both were like, yeah, I haven't really like I know the album, but they don't know the album. So it's been great. We've had two guests in a row who have made us kind of go back and look at a record and it's so awesome to do because you just kind of feel like we, we want to have that premise like you were in an old record store and the record store owner said no no this is the album you want to listen to and we kind of get it, are getting that off of ian last week and you this week so it's been it's been great a great experience for us so uh thanks for letting us dive into rain dogs with you thanks guys and good luck with it awesome thank you All right, special thanks to Wadi for letting us use his song In My Heart as our theme song. Thanks to Danny Michelle for joining us this week. And most importantly, thanks to you for listening to The Sound Effect. If you enjoyed today's show, please share it on social media and let us know what you think of our show. Sharing the show will uh, help to, to spread the word about the show and get this out there for people to hear. And we'd really appreciate that. So on Instagram, we are at the underscore sound underscore effect with an A. Twitter, we are at sound underscore effect. And on Facebook, Facebook, look up the Sound Effect Podcast. And remember, there is always a great record out there just waiting to be discovered. So keep listening. Keep listening.